Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, over the last few weeks, what we just sang there has been a reality for so many of us. Uh, We have been weak. Our strength has been failing. And you have lifted us up. You've held us up. You've used each other, people in this room, to hold us up. Your spirit has come alongside of us and has given us peace, has reminded us of your unfailing love to us, your steadfast love to us. In the midst of despair and depression and grief, you've reminded us of the hope that is found in you, that it's not just some abstract or ethereal idea of hope, but what actually gets us out of bed in the morning, (laughs) what helps us step into darkness, what helps us keep moving forward when everything in us just wants to retreat. And so I praise you this morning that that's been true. Praise you that that is true. I praise you that that will continue to be true because you are the same yesterday and today and forever. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Lord, we praise you this morning that today we stand and worship you with brothers and sisters all over this world, in all the nations. We thank you that we are not alone, but the people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation are seeing your marvelous works done in their lives and done through their lives. Thank you that your glory is filling the earth and that our experience of it this morning is just a small slice. So Lord, we pray for your blessings as we continue to hear your word this morning and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning and Thank you in the midst of, uh, yeah, just the busyness of this year that you're here. Um, I need to be here. (laughs) This morning is a morning where I would have preferred to stay in bed, uh, but I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I'm with you um, because my soul needs this. My spirit needs this. Uh, Over the course of this Advent season, we have been talking together on Sunday mornings about mission, about what we uh, commonly refer to in uh, the American church as global 
missions, that we are a part of something bigger, that we are a part of something that God has been, that God is, and that God will continue to do. That oftentimes we jump in full force as Americans because we're doers, we're go-getters, but we have stopped over this Advent season to ask some really important questions. And the first being, what is God doing? What is the work that God is about? And as uh, Pastor Nate shared with us back at the, in, in the first week of our series, that God's mission is filling the earth with his glory, with his presence. That people from every tribe and tongue and nation will know that he is God. That, that, that places and systems and structures will experience the transformation and the renewal that comes from God's spirit and God's presence in our lives and in the lives of men and women that are being transformed all over this earth. That where we go, that as the church spreads, the spirit of God and the presence of God spreads with it. That the church is not a building, it's not a structure, it's not some kind of organization, that it's primarily people. It's us, it's you, it's me, the spirit of God. And that we are seeing God's presence and his glory fill the earth and be uh, a transforming power, a transforming agent in the world that we live in. And last week, we asked the question, well, what, what about Jesus? What, what is Jesus' role in the mission of God? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came as a physical manifestation of the presence of God. That you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You want to hear what God is about, listen to the words of Jesus. That Jesus was a walking, talking human being in the streets of Jerusalem. And people knew what God was like by interacting with Jesus. And as we saw, what that means for us is that in the same way that God came to reach this world, by becoming like us and living in the world that we live in, by proclaiming the reality of God in a a language that people could understand, in a culture that was familiar to them, in a way that they could see it, that they could hear it, that they could touch it, that they could be around it, that that has major implications for us as his church as we talk about participating in the mission of God. That we are people that live in a particular place, in a particular culture, that speak a particular language. And so we have to be sensitive and understand that, that as we talk about going to the nations and being involved in what God is doing around the world, that 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 requires us to understand other people, where they're coming from, their language, their culture, their place in this world, and living out and proclaiming the gospel in a way that they can understand. That what people need in this world is not our culture. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so all of these things for us have have been working together to give us a picture and to give us a framework for what this means 
for us as God's church in this city, Indianapolis, in this part of the city, for this particular local expression of the church of God that we call Soma Northwest? What does it look like for us to participate in the mission of God? And this directly links to our celebration of Advent, this Advent season, where we look back to the coming of Jesus, that Jesus was born like us, lived in the world with us so that the presence of God could fill us. And where the church spreads, like I mentioned, the presence of God spreads with it. And in a sense, what we are talking about as we talk about global missions and being a, a part of the mission of God, is that in a sense we are talking about Jesus being birthed anew through us. Jesus being birthed anew, bringing life and light, power and peace in our lives and then through our lives where he sends us around this world. That's a big vision. And for some of us, we get excited about that. And we're like, let's go, all right? Like, let's go somewhere. Let's do something. But what we want to do is we want to be careful not to get out over our skis. We're a young church. We're still figuring some things out. We're still looking for ways in which we can grow and we can mature. And if we're not careful in our zeal, we can get sideways. And we can go about participating in the mission of God in haphazard ways. And so what we want to do in this season, this early season of our church, is that we want to give ourselves a framework from the scriptures. How do we know when we're ready to participate in the mission of God? How do we know where God is going to send us around the world? How do we know all of these things? Let me pause and give a brief aside here. God does not need us to accomplish his mission. Let me say that again. God does not need you or me. God does not need any church in this world to accomplish his mission. Oftentimes, we can hear about the mission of God and we can get burdened and like laden with guilt and think, well, if I don't go, if we don't go, then people won't hear, then they won't be saved, then God's mission won't be accomplished. And so we just got to go. We got to do it. There's no time to wait. There's no time to figure this out. People are dying. They need to hear the gospel. We believe in a God who is sovereign. And what that means is that God will accomplish what he has set out to do. That God is sovereign, that God is in control, that what God has promised, he will fulfill. We believe the words of Jesus when Jesus said, all the Father has given me will come to me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. We believe that that's true. We believe that God the Father will accomplish his mission, even if it means that rocks 
all over this world cry out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God is not dependent on you and on me to fulfill his mission. We believe that. It's not our mission to accomplish. It's God's mission that we joyously participate in. That he has invited us to participate in. And we as a church, we as individuals, need to steward that participation well and responsibly and with wisdom and being led by the Spirit. So what does it mean to participate in the mission of God? What, what should we be doing now? How will we know where and when to send people out of our church, to partner with missionaries already in the field, mission agencies that are doing good gospel work around the globe? How will we know all of these things? Well, this morning, I want to look at the church in the city of Antioch, in the book of Acts. Because when we look at the church in Antioch, what we will see is this church growing incrementally in maturity. And along the way, we will see that there are different benchmarks that we should be looking to, that we should be moving towards as we measure our maturity and begin to answer those bigger questions of what does it look like for us to participate in the mission of God. These aren't the only things that should be true of us as a church, but if this is who we are, if this is the kind of uh, a way of being that we are about in the world, we can be confident that we are truly participating in the mission of God as he desires us to participate, okay? So if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, I want to start there. And just to give you some background, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke wrote this book as a, a history, a narrative, a story of the life of followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended to heaven. 533 if you're using one of the Bibles uh, on your seats. And so what we see here is a narrative, is a story of the spread of the presence of God, the glory of God in the first century. And it gives us a really good picture here of what God desires of us today. Acts chapter 6, let me read the first six verses. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And around, and 12 summoned, excuse me, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
Widows in this day were a marginalized, marginalized subgroup of society. Most of the time, uh, a widow would not be able to earn a suitable living to support herself. And sometimes she didn't have families to take her in and support her and provide for her need. So what the church would do in Jerusalem, they would assume care for these widows. The widow could not provide for herself if she didn't have family. Then the church took the responsibility and assumed the responsibility to care for these ladies. And one of the ways that they did that was they provided a daily distribution of food, daily food for these widows to live on. Um, And what apparently was happening here is that food was not getting to a group of widows who were referred to as Hellenists. Now, these were culturally Greek women who had Jewish roots, who had formerly lived outside of Palestine, but probably because of, uh, you know, their, their um, advancing in age or, or for whatever reason, had decided to move back into Jerusalem to their ancestral homeland. And so they were a part of this church, this gathering of believers in Jerusalem. And what was happening is that these women were not getting taken care of like the native Jewish women, the native Hebrew women were getting taken care of. And a large part of this was probably because they spoke a different language. They spoke a different language, so there was probably a breakdown in communication. There was a breakdown in some, you know, whatever it might have been. But the native Jews were taking care of their own people, which was natural, but these women were being left out. And so this problem came to uh, the apostles, the leaders of the church at that time, and they said, we need to address this. And so they selected men who were culturally Greek, spoke Greek, to minister to these widows. And this is the first mention that we see, that we read of the city of Antioch, because there was a man here, Nicholas, who was selected to serve these women who was from the city of Antioch. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But here we see a very important benchmark, that this was a Christian community, and here they are learning to serve and meet the needs of everyone in their care. They are serving and they are meeting the needs of everyone in their care. Now, go forward with me a few chapters to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Now, what has happened between the passage that we just read in Acts 6 and Acts 11? Persecution. Right after Acts 6, one of those men, those deacons that was selected, a man by the name of Stephen, began to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. He was stoned. You can read that in Acts 7. And then Christ followers in the city of Jerusalem began to be persecuted like they hadn't been before by the religious Jews that were in Jerusalem. And what happened is that in that persecution... Because of that persecution, a bunch of Jews scattered from the city of Jerusalem into other parts of the Roman world. So look with me in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. 
Luke writes, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture here. There's a bunch of things going on here. But Hellenists, these Greek these culturally Greek people with Jewish ancestry began to gather around Antioch and gather in Antioch after the persecution in Jerusalem and, and in the Palestine region. It's probably safe to assume that Nicholas, who we read about, was one of these folks going back to the city that he was from and grew up in. Antioch was a massive city at this time, with nearly half a million people, which was big for that day, an eclectic mix of cultures and ethnicities represented in the city of Antioch. When it was first built, it was literally built as a divided city, a city that had a wall in the middle of it, a literal wall to keep the Syrians and the Greeks apart from each other. Yes. By the time Luke wrote, though, at least 18 different ethnic groups were living within the city's boundaries. And yet, division remained. These groups largely kept to themselves in their own neighborhoods, in their own communities. Now, back in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we read that Luke tells us, Luke tells us that the gospel spread throughout Judea and Samaria because of the persecution that happened in Jerusalem. So people were leaving Jerusalem, and as they left Jerusalem, they are sharing the gospel, just like Jesus commissioned in Acts chapter 1. You remember? He told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria. But what do we see here? That the gospel now is going to the ends of the earth. That And when the Bible in this time speaks of the ends of the earth, it's talking about the Roman Empire. That was the earth at that time. That was the world at that time. The gospel is spreading to other people. Jews are evangelizing non-Jews. They started out there evangelizing Jews, fellow Jews. They're calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And here, Luke tells us that for the first time, Jews begin to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus with people who are ethnically and culturally different from themselves. And that is why they were called Christians. That is where that name came from. Because in a city 
where everybody kept to themselves, where everybody kept to their own tribe and their own people and their own culture, here was a group of people who were doing the exact opposite. And they didn't have a category for that. Completely blew their categories. And so they said, we are going to call these people Christians because we don't know what else to call them. (laughs) They're people from all different ethnicities, cultures, backgrounds, languages, and they're worshiping this one God, and they're living together in community. So what we see here is another benchmark, a church, a community, reaching people who were culturally different with the gospel. Let's read on there in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And Luke tells us this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in, Jeru- in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Agabus, a prophet of God, warns that there is going to be a series of severe famines and poor harvests throughout the Roman Empire. And here what we read is that the church in Antioch mobilized themselves. They gathered together and took a collection and sent it through Barnabas, by Barnabas and by Paul, to the church in Jerusalem. They sent relief money. They were a church here who demonstrated love for and unity with their brothers living in another city. Benchmark. Generosity. A church that is generous toward other churches in other cities. Flip with me to Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 1. We read, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Prophets and teachers. The structure of this sentence in the original language uh, suggests that Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius were prophets, and Manaen and Paul were teachers. What we know is that Barnabas was Jewish. Simeon is a Jewish name, but his nickname or family name implies that he was dark-skinned, that he was possibly from Africa. Lucius, a Roman name from Cyrene in North Africa. Manaen was possibly in the household of Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas, the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist and tried Jesus, that Jesus stood before, before he was crucified. And Saul, a Jewish persecutor of the church, before God radically saved and transformed his life. Here we see Jews, Africans, people, from, men from different backgrounds in different places, different native languages, and they are leading the church in Antioch. They are leading the church in Antioch. Remember, this is a diverse 
yet divided city. And here we have men from all different stripes coming together to build up this church and lead this church in the spirit. Another benchmark here, ethnically diverse leaders using their gifts to build up the body of Jesus. Look at verses two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. While this church was worshiping, while they were ministering, while they were serving each other, the Spirit falls and the Spirit redirected them. They're not sitting and waiting. They're not uh, 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 just talking a good game about being involved in the work that God has called them to do. They were doing it. They were already doing what God had equipped them for and, they, and giving, given them the opportunity to do. And it says that the Spirit, Luke says, the Spirit came and said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for me. And the whole congregation fasted and prayed for God's direction, for God's blessing. They laid hands, identifying with and supporting God's call on Saul and on Barnabas. And then they sent them off. They released them from their duties and responsibilities in Antioch to follow where the Spirit of God was leading them. Notice the impetus to send didn't come from the church but it came from the Spirit while they were serving, while they were worshiping, while they were ministering to each other. Another benchmark, a church sending out from their midst those who were already involved in the work of the Lord. And if you read on, we won't take time to do that. In Acts 14, after Paul and Barnabas have been gone, they return to Antioch. And they give a report. They give a report to people who had identified with them, who had supported them, who had loved on them, who had prayed for them. They come back to give a report to say, this is what we've been doing. This is the work that God is doing. This is what's happening. These are the answers to your prayer. This is what your support is doing. And then in Acts 15, this church in Antioch then sends Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to give the Jerusalem church, who is going through an identity crisis, a church that has a bunch of different people from different backgrounds and different languages and different ethnicities worshiping. They send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to help this church begin to figure that out, to help this church begin to see a good perspective on what God is doing and provide support and training and equipping to this church. So what we see here in the church of Antioch is that after they had sent Paul and Barnabas, they maintained relationship and unity with them. We see them helping uh, missionaries who have come back go to other churches and bless those churches and equip those churches in their journey in participation in the mission, mission of God. So to recap, what we see here in Acts through the church of Antioch is a community that's taking care of each other 
and meeting each other's needs. A community that's actively engaging different ethnicities with the gospel. A community that's supporting churches in other cities in their gospel work. A community that's led by an ethnically and culturally diverse group of people. And a community that's sending out people who are already serving to serve in a different part of the world. To different people from different ethnicities, different cultures, in different lands. Here's the big idea that I want us to see this morning. Everything that we do as a church is our missions program. Everything that we do as a church is our global missions program. That's why we talk about, that's why we practice racial reconciliation here in our own body and in our own city. It's why we encourage each of us to actively use our gifts to build up and encourage this church. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the staff. It's all of us have that responsibility and why we want to encourage us. Some of you may not know this, but this is why we as a church are part of the Sojourn Network. It's a network of churches that are are actively engaged in supporting and planting new churches in various cities around this country. 4% of our annual church budget here at Soma Northwest goes to the Sojourn Network because we want to pay forward what we were given by this group of people that other people, other churches around this country supported us so that we could be here this morning, so that we could be involved in the gospel work that God has for us here in our part of Indianapolis. And we want to be a part of that moving forward to continue to give and be involved in planting new churches in other parts of this country. That's why we have a mercy and a benevolence fund Jacob Kramer in the back is our deacon of mercy who who administrates that and manages that for us. That's why we aren't bashful about saying, listen, if you are in need, if you have a real need, come and let us help you as a church because this is what we do. We make sure that each of us is taken care of and as much as we can, that we support the needs, the real needs that each of us have. And so some of these seeds of mission have started to sprout, have started to grow over the first few years here of our our church community. And we want to continue to water these seeds. We want to continue to cultivate so that we as a church can grow up into maturity in participation in the mission of God. We will never master all of these things. That's not the point is to be a church that's like, you know, uh, uh, cornered the market on all of these different practices and, and ways of being. But what we believe is that as we commit, as we commit to this, when these things are the values of our church, when we are saying, listen, our time and our energy and our resources, like this is where we're going to direct those things. We believe that the Spirit will fall. (laughs) The Spirit will come to us in the midst of this and say, go. Here's an opportunity to partner and support with a missionary doing work in another part of the world. Here's an opportunity for you to partner with a mission agency in another part of the world. 
some of us will be called to go and to do work that we are doing right now in this place in another part of the world. And get this, some of our children will be called to go. Some of our children will be called to go and to participate in the mission of God in another place, in another land, to another culture. Mission, participation in this mission is an all play. It's an all play. It's all of us. All of us are involved in what God is doing. But here's the danger. We can affirm that this is true. We can teach on it. We can sing about it. We can nod our heads in agreement with it. But our life patterns can lead us in a different direction. What we value in practice can run counter to what we say we believe and what we say we're about. Each of these steps in maturity involve laying our lives down to a greater and greater degree. Laying our lives down to a greater and greater degree, both collectively and individually. These are things that we need to be confronted with, that we need to hold up and examine our own lives, our family's life, our church life, And we need to say, are we organizing our lives in this direction? That the patterns of what we do are leading us towards God and what he is doing in this world. It means that we have to reject individualism. We have to reject thinking about what's good and what's easy and what's comfortable for just ourselves and our family. It means being willing to step out and say, this is something that God has called me into. I don't need to be invited by a pastor. I don't need to be invited by a church to participate in this because God has called me into this. God has invited me to participate in this. Do you want to serve people in a different part of the world? Are you serving people in your world now? You don't know where God will lead you in the future, but are you practicing the way of Jesus in the present? Where he's placed you and where he's put you now? We desire to be a church that's involved in global missions, that's participating in what God is doing around the world, but are we committed to proclaiming and living the gospel here in Northwest Indianapolis? We will not do things in a different place, in a different culture, with people who speak a different language if we aren't doing them here, in our own culture, in our own city, with people who speak our own language and live a very similar life as we do. Okay? These are things that we all have to take stock. We have to take stock of our lives and we have to say, what am I doing now? Because God may not call you overseas. God may not call your children overseas. God may not give you an opportunity to travel overseas, but you are a part of the mission of God because global missions is here. 
because we are a part of the globe. God is filling the whole earth, including Indianapolis. And we need to be involved in God's work here. And as we are involved in God's work here, we open ourselves up to hearing from the Spirit, discerning the Spirit about where He's leading us next. Okay? So I want to give you that vision this morning. I want to call you to that this morning. I want to lift that up to you this morning. And I want to say, as elders, myself, Pastor Nate, Pastor Andrew, we are committed to this. As God has has called us to serve this church in this way, to lead this church for this season, this is what we are committed to. When we think about our church and what our church is involved in, this is the direction we're going. This is what we want to be about. This is where we're headed. But it's not on us alone. It's not on the church corporate to be to, for Soma Northwest to be a church participating in the mission of God. We all make up this body of Christ. We all have a part to play here. Some of us will be called elsewhere in the world. All of us are called right here, right now, to be a part of what God is doing in this place and in this time. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as we think about celebrating Advent, as we think about celebrating this season, this season that gives us an opportunity a lot of times to to reflect to look back and to to reflect. I want us to ask that question, both individually and as a church. How is Jesus being birthed anew in my life, in my family, in my roles and responsibilities? Do my coworkers, my classmates, my neighbors have reason to ask about hope that I have? Am I a person of peace where God has placed me? Do I practice forgiveness with those who have wronged me? Do I practice reconciliation with those who I have wronged? Am I seeking the goodness of others? Am I being generous with my time, my energy, my money? How am I building up this church, this group of people, and stewarding stewarding the talents and the ability that God has given me in a way that benefits others? The incarnation speaks to us of the great and glorious truth that God became man. The glory of God took on human form so that we could see it, we could hear it, we could touch it, we could experience it in real life. The Spirit of God is embodied in all of us who believe in Jesus. Where we go, the Spirit of God goes. Where we are and where we are present, the presence of God is there. God is filling this earth with His glory. And we desire to be people and a church community who participate faithfully in that. 
And so as we come this morning and as we take a piece of the bread, as we dip it in the juice, we do so affirming and acknowledging and holding on to the truth that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ is coming again. That Christ will complete the mission of God in this world. And it is our joy to participate in that now. It is our joy to experience that now. And as a church, by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit, we are going to be about that. And we are going to commit to that. So I invite you to come this morning. Do it with hope. Do it with joy. Do it understanding that God is working, that God will continue to work, that God will get glory, that God will accomplish his mission. And in a season that is fraught with anxiety and chaos and just tiredness, let that be a comfort that we serve a God who is in complete control and a God who will accomplish every word that he has promised. Jesus, we lift you up this morning. We praise you for the work that you're doing. We praise you for the work that you've done here in our lives. The transformation that we have experienced, the transformation that we've been involved in, in the lives of others in this community. And God, we thank you that you are doing that around the world even as we speak. And so, Lord, as we are a young church, we are a church that is trying to find our way. As we are individuals who are seeking to walk with you and to follow you. We pray that you will use us here in this place at this time to bring your presence to this city. And we pray that as we are faithful in that work, that you will lead us to be involved in what you're doing in other places around this world. God, we lift you up on high this morning. We thank you for who you are. We will thank you that you will accomplish everything that you have set out to do. Great are you and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.